particularly perturbed by that breakfast announcement. Um, those of you who know Rob will know that he's got quite a culinary background. Those who know me know I can wash up, so I think that's the deal. Um, so I can, I can hand him implements at the right time, and it'll all be fine. That's, the thing, that's my level, and I'm quite happy with that. Oh. We're going to be turning to Luke chapter 7 in a moment. But it would be remiss of me to dive into Scripture without talking about some of the events of this week in our nation. Like many of you may have, I have friends who live in Manchester. I know church leaders in Manchester who have been right in the heart of leading the city in prayer this week. Who've opened up their churches uh, to provide a safe space for people to go and pray and seek God in the aftermath of the awful events of earlier in the week. And we, as the news unfolded, faced the initial un- kind of initial story that something horrible had happened, that there were injuries and possibly deaths. And then as the night, morning wore on, we began to hear stories of parents looking for children, of strangers helping, of people of some religious faith, various religious faiths or no religious faith, diving in to help those in need. And the stories continued. And a city came together in grief and solidarity. And people found some comfort and some hope. And then even political campaigning stopped for a few days. Which was a blessed relief, but we'd have preferred it to have come through other means, wouldn't we? And then it started again. A normal service resumes, but there's an ache in people's lives today. There's an ache in a city to the north of here. And questions remain. And for some, grief is only beginning. And then there was another story which may have made your news. It caught my attention because I was in this country last year. A story where some buses on their way to a Christian shrine in Egypt were stopped and 28 people massacred on their way. And these events, I've highlighted those, but these events occur, sadly, with a great degree of frequency in our world today. We're living in a broken world. It's a beautiful world. It's a wonderful world. It's a world where the potential for hope and excitement and joy and peace, but it's also fractured. And we've seen evidence of that fracturing this week. Two stories, one in our nation, one overseas, which have unfolded a story of brokenness in our world. And I, I want to st- speak today from a scripture which, which kind of dives right into this very issue. To, to unpack a scripture for you today and with you today which tells a similar story. Not quite on the same scale, not on the same freshness and rawness to us today as these stories will be. Because they are friends of ours that are connected and involved Perhaps. But it's very significant. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 7, verse 11 to 17. And I want us to see today that no matter what happens, Jesus is still Lord. No matter what goes on in the world that we live in, Jesus is Lord. Did you hear me? Jesus is Lord. There is hope. We can trust. We can have confidence in the King of Kings because Jesus is still Lord. 
So the scripture, it's actually, it's actually going to be on the screen today. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Follows on from the story of Jesus healing the centurion's servant, a man who was mostly dead. And Jesus healed him. And here we're going to see a story of someone who has died. And see what Jesus does in this instance. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. There's a lot going on in this passage. It's only a few verses, but there's a lot going on. And and I hope as I was reading that, you could begin to get a sense of the scene, but we are going to look at it again in just a moment. It's a story of brokenness. And there's a key verse in this this story, which you may not have picked up on, but it's, it's kind of a very important, significant verse. It's verse 13. And it says this, when the Lord saw her, it's not the first bit of the story, But it's a really important bit. Luke chapter 7, verse 13. When the Lord saw her. This is important because this is the first time Luke in his gospel has himself referred to Jesus as Lord. Up until now, other people have mentioned his name, uh, mentioned him as Lord. They've referred to him as polite, as master, which also translates as Lord. But this is the very first time Luke himself writing has called Jesus the Lord. Lord. He goes on to do it many, many more times. And this is really significant. And I remember from primary school, the kids would sing a little rhyme that would say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never... Yeah, it's rubbish, isn't it? Because some of us carry the, the scars of words that were said for years and years and years. But anyway, that's a little rhyme. Sticks and stones will break my bones and words will never hurt me. The names people call each other matter. There are a couple of people in my life who can call me dad. There's a couple who can call me son. I've got one who can call me brother. There's many, hopefully, who could call me friend. The names people call you matter. Only certain people can call you certain things. But for Luke to say that Jesus is Lord is incredibly significant. Fundamentally important. He's writing in a culture where, Roman culture where there was one Lord and his name was Caesar. He's writing in a culture where it was countercultural to say that there was another Lord. That there was one who was Lord. Which is why the Romans had such a problem with the Jewish nation for all the time that they were in power. Had such a problem with this rebellious, obstinate people who kept insisting that there was a God who wasn't Caesar. 
How dare they? And then the Christians, the followers of the way, come along and do exactly the same. Slightly more threatening, he's been alive physically in the nation of Israel during Roman rule. He's more of a threat. And Luke is saying, this man, this one who walked around, this one whose followers are alive today, is the Lord. Hugely significant. To acknowledge Jesus as Lord was dangerous to Rome. It was also dangerous as a, as, as, as a group of Jewish believers uh, writing about the one who was Lord because the Lord was a name reserved only for Yahweh, only for the God of Israel. And to say Jesus is Lord equates Jesus with the God of Israel. So this statement is crucially significant. The Gospels hinge on this question of Jesus. Who do you say I am? And Luke has made his decision. And I I just emphasize this at the beginning before we get into the story because it's really important that we open up our minds to think, who do I see Jesus as today in my life? Who is he? There's many different words you could apply to Jesus, but who is he? Who do I see him as in my life? A good friend? God, good guy, a teacher, an example, a savior, my brother, my Lord. Luke's waited seven chapters for the big reveal. This is the Lord. But this is it. So let's get back into this story. I hope you can see as you you imagine this story, the the dust on the ground. Uh, The story tells us that there's a crowd with Jesus going towards the town of Nain. And there's a crowd coming out of the town at the same time. The story tells us that there's, there's lots of noise around because people are crying and weeping. And in this society, you would have had professional mourners as well as the whole town coming out to stand and show their sympathy and their love and their respect. So it's messy. It's dusty. It's crowded. And we've got one crowd walking with Jesus, the, the prophet, the teacher, the Lord. Into Nain and another crowd coming out. Don't you love God's timing? How late does it feel God's left some answers in your life? Quite late? Does it feel sometimes as though you're left hanging on, you've prayed a prayer and you say, God, I'll give you a deadline. And God says, oh, thanks very much. I'm really grateful you give me a deadline. That's really helpful. And then proceeds to ignore it completely. And as your deadline passes, you think, I've got past the point of no return. And this woman is about to discover that there is no point of no return. Because he's God and he can do anything. And actually, whatever time it is, there is still, it's still possible for God to work and perform his miracle. But we've got this scene. It's dusty. There's shouting. There's wailing. There's tears and mess. And there's the sound of the mourners. And at the front of the crowd, as Jesus approaches the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. We discover in that one verse that the body that's being carried out on a plank 
not a, full op- not a full closed coffin, but a plank covered up with a shroud or sheet. The body that's being carried out is connected to the woman that is with the body, and the woman is weeping. And we discover that the woman is weeping because this body that's being carried out is her son. It's commonly said when a child dies that no parent should have to bury their child. And we understand that it should be the other way around, shouldn't it? The natural order of things feels like it should be the other way around. But this woman is having to do what we feel like no parent should have to do. The child has died. The son who was to grow up and care for her and her husband in her old age, in their old age, has died. And she's having to do the burying. The son she loved, the son she'd watched grow up, the son she'd cared for. And then we go on to discover that this was her only son. Her and her husband hadn't had any more. Families were often larger to provide more people to care for parents and to to keep the family name going and all that sort of thing. And because infant death rates were quite high and so it's quite common to have bigger families. But this couple hadn't been able to have more than one child. They'd only had the one. And so this was their only son who had died. The family line perhaps was coming to an end. There was no brothers or sisters to offer comfort. There was nothing else the hope for the future of the family had gone and then of course we discover that the woman's done this once before that she's walked the dusty path out of the town with a body once before only once before it was her husband not her son and so she's walking this time as the mother of an only son as a widowed mother of an only son and all her hopes are on the plank of wood next to her all her hope of future provision, of future comfort, of future family, of, of kind of that kind of connection, everything is on the plank that's walking out of the town with her. And yet, as this situation unfolds, we discover that Jesus is still Lord. When you think things are bad, And actually, it looks like they can't get any worse. And then they do. Jesus is still Lord. How bad did it look when they could only have one child? They were grateful for one, but they'd wanted two, three, four. Couldn't have any more. Oh, painful. How bad did it look when her husband dies? Oh, how bad does it look when her child dies? Oh. In the middle of that, Jesus is still Lord, the difficulty of our situations doesn't diminish God's power. No matter how difficult things look, it doesn't diminish the lordship or the power of God. At times we think it does. But God is not made less powerful if the situation gets worse. Jesus is just as powerful the day before this, just as powerful the day after. Just, he's, he's just as powerful when he's never raised somebody from the dead. You just haven't seen yet what God can do. Whether it's good, bad, or worse, Jesus is still Lord. There is still hope. Next, we see this. We see that when God doesn't do what you expect, Jesus is still 
Lord. Now, this woman is, is not alone. She's in a crowd, but she soon will be alone. And that's perhaps why she has such a big crowd with her, because the town have come out to, to cry and to mourn. This is a traditional act, an act of love by your neighbors. You, it was pretty much mandatory that you would go and join a funeral procession. Wasn't a lot of choice. If, you were, if it was a really large town, you could avoid it. But if it was a small town, it was customary, even if you were reading scripture, to stop and go and join the funeral procession of somebody else from the town to go and show your love. And so this woman is part of a large crowd, but she won't be for long. She's going to be on her own in a moment. And Jesus does three things that you wouldn't expect. Firstly, he says this, don't cry. On the face of it, that's a really callous thing to say. To walk up to a woman who's sobbing with all the situation we've described and say, oh, don't cry. It's one of those moments where, like elsewhere in the Gospels, where people look at Jesus and go, Jesus, don't you get it? The situation's hopeless. She's lost everything. And Jesus says to her, don't cry. Jesus does that because he has compassion. It's because of his compassion that he goes to her and he speaks to her The scripture says that when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. We see that God is the Lord of compassion and there's a link between God's power and authority, his command and his compassion. And we see it here in this passage. Jesus is not afraid of her emotion. That's not why he's saying don't cry. He's not embarrassed or awkward about the fact that she's expressing emotion. He doesn't mind. But he knows something she doesn't. That's why he's saying don't cry. He he knows what's going to come next. He he knows that actually there is a hope beyond which she can see at the moment. Whatever emotional state we're in today, whatever sense of brokenness we have, Jesus is still Lord. He's not afraid of our emotions. They shouldn't rule us, but he's not afraid of them. He's not ashamed of them. He's not worried about them. And today, I believe God wants to speak a word over us today. A second unusual thing he does is he touches this beer, B-I-E-R, not B-E-E-R, this plank of wood that they're carrying. It's an unusual word, isn't it? We don't often use that. A person in this culture in this time wasn't prepared for burial until death was absolutely certain. It's usually a good thing. Once... They were certain they would prepare them for burial fairly quickly. The family would often tear their garments as a sign of mourning. The eyes of the deceased would be closed. The body would be anointed and they would be buried quickly, wrapped in a cloth and then carried out of the town before burial, as I've mentioned. And Jesus approaches the visible body and he touches the plank. Now, Again, just as you don't tell a grieving widow, a grieving mother to not cry, you don't touch a plank with a dead body on it if you're a Jewish teacher. You just don't do these things. The first one might be just socially unacceptable. The second one is, under the religious law, unacceptable. Because if Jesus touches this plank, he's then unclean. I've got a great answer for that in just a minute. But he is unclean if he touches this plank. And so there's, there's shock and the, the carriers stop. 
They stand still. Their job, they only have one job, and it's to get the body from the town to the burial site. But when Jesus comes and touches the plank, they stop. I don't think anybody's ever done this before. Maybe other than a grieving family member, but certainly not a religious leader, certainly not a teacher, not someone like Jesus. And he touches this, and instantly he's meant to be unclean. What a shock. You know, when things are going wrong or things are going well in our lives, Jesus is still Lord. He doesn't have to comply to our rules. And you might be thinking, but the law was God's rules and it was God that said not to touch a dead body. Well, here's the answer. How about this? If the body's not a body but a person because they're alive, you're not unclean because you can touch each other. Jesus could touch the boy and the plank that the boy's on if he's alive. It's just the little fact that he's dead that means that Jesus can't touch it. So Jesus might temporarily have been unclean technically, but in a moment he's going to be alive and it's all going to be okay. You see, Jesus walks into situations where he might be technically made unclean, but he never takes on uncleanliness. He always brings cleansing. He always brings forgiveness. He always brings healing. He always brings deliverance. The leper he touches should make Jesus unclean, but instead the leper is cleansed. See the point? And there's nothing, no shame, no sin, nothing that you can bring to Jesus that will somehow diminish God. The only response is that we will be cleansed. The only response is that we will be healed. There is no way that God is going to shrink back and hide. Thirdly, the third thing Jesus does in this little incident is he gives instructions to a dead man. Now, how many of you know it's not normal to give instructions to a dead person? Doesn't normally work very well, but Jesus speaks and addresses the young man in person and says, young man, I say to you, get up. This is crazy unless it's going to work. Mind you, Jesus did have form, didn't he? A bit later on in John's gospel, we read that he went to a tomb, a tomb of Lazarus, and asked him to roll away the stone and then said, Lazarus, come out. He's got a bit of form in speaking to dead people uh, with the result that they're not dead anymore. He doesn't just talk to dead people like some people do because that's pointless. But Jesus only speaks to them to bring them back to life again. And this is remarkable. The power of a creative word. The power of Jesus' redemptive, transformative word. And if only we could see the power of God's word today. The same power that raised Lazarus from the dead. Raised this young boy, this young man from the dead. The same word is contained for us in the pages of scripture and spoken again and again by the Holy Spirit in our lives. What is it that Jesus has spoken over your life and mine that he wants to remind you of today? What is it that's died in our lives that Jesus wants to call back to life today? With a word, what was dead can become alive. What was hopeless can be hope-filled. Because Jesus is Lord The whole crowd are filled with awe. Well, it's not because of that. It's because someone's come back from the dead and is now alive. But we know the secret that it's because Jesus is Lord. And they were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. 
God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. What would that have been like? You were part of the crowd. Maybe you were one of the ones carrying the plank with the dead body on. Or, yes, praise to God. Yes, this is amazing. And you'd have told a story, wouldn't you? A prophet's appeared. This would be the kind of story that you bore your kids with. And you bore your grandchildren with. And you bore anybody that ever comes close to you with. Did I tell you the time when? And for the first few times, people go, wow. And then after three, four, five times, they go, He's on about it again. That time when, you know, you know the glazed look, don't you? You've given it yourself. You know. When someone's off on that trip again, down memory lane, and they're telling you the story. But this would be one of those stories. One of those stories where you'd want to communicate it. You'd want to share it. And you'd want to say, this, this was the day when something amazing happened. The sad truth is there are many, many people who see Jesus do amazing things, who even witness the raising from the dead, and still, still their response is to tell the story but not bow the knee and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you're not just a great prophet, but I want you in my life. I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to heal this sickness that's in me, not just a sickness of the body, but a sickness of the soul. My tendency towards sin, my tendency to brokenness, my tendency to... Follow after myself. When Jesus is offering that we take up his cross and follow him. It's the point at which many say, oh, do you know what? I'll just settle for seeing the healings, thanks. I'll settle for watching another miracle or hearing another story because these stories are great, Jesus. They're really cool stories. We love hearing your stories, but please don't preach that difficult stuff to us about cross and blood and death and all that kind of stuff. We're really not keen on that bit. We'd prefer to go to another preacher over here somewhere who's preaching something else a bit happier. But you know, the truth is that Jesus' stories and healings all point to this. They all point to the cross because it's through the cross that we're reconciled to the Father. And that's the point. And the enjoyment we have in God's presence comes through bowing the knee and dying to ourselves and saying, Lord, My Lord, forgive me. I want to follow you. And that's a position at which we enter the kingdom of God. But in some sense, it's a position that we stay in, in the kingdom of God. See, Jesus never ceases being Lord. He never ceases being Lord. As we uncover more about who he is in our lives, he stays as Lord. Jesus sets the standard for lordship. There's a verse in Paul's, which I haven't put on the screen, I thought I had. There we go. In Paul's writings, which says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation depends on Jesus being Lord. Salvation depends on us recognizing that Jesus is Lord. Let me just say this quickly and then I'll wrap up. Jesus, because Jesus is Lord, he sets the standard for lordship. We don't have to choose today between lordship and compassion. Some people, the reason I'm saying this is because some are scared of lordship. Some, I've heard people say to me, um, 
things along the lines of, I'm not very comfortable with Jesus as Lord. I like the thought of him as daddy. I like the th- thought of him as friend. But, but the Lord bit is, ah, just seems a little bit scary. But the greatest revelation is that it's the same God. That he is compassionate and Lord. That he's loving and judging and gracious and merciful and kind, but also awesome and all-powerful. He's all. We can't diminish God and shrink him down to fit. He's all. We don't have to choose. We see here Jesus with compassion. We don't have to choose between lordship and humility. When you hear that God created us, that we might delight in him, it sound, can sound very self-serving of God if it's not presented right. That God needed people to worship him. He didn't need us to worship him. He had no need of anything. But he created us out of his love for us. His overwhelming, overflowing love. His delight in us that we might discover him and delight in him. And he sets the standard for lordship and humility where he stoops to wash his creation's feet. And he says, if you want to lead, then this is how you do it. You serve. So God's lordship is not about him just being glorified and that's the end of it. That makes him feel better. Absolutely not. His lordship is characterized by love. And the greatest response we can have is to glorify God because it's then that we find freedom. How do we apply this teaching to our lives today? That Jesus is Lord. Well, number one, I've demonstrated, I think, that we need to respond and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. I don't just want you to be Lord on a page in a Bible, but Lord today in my life, because it's then that we find freedom. Secondly, we trust him. Because of what we know about funerals in this culture, it's quite likely I'm not going to say it's guaranteed because I can't prove that, but I think it's very likely that this isn't the first funeral Jesus has been to. Because the whole town comes out when people die, because of the mortality rate, I think Jesus will have been to other funerals before. Ones where he didn't touch the plank of wood. Where he didn't say, my son, I tell you, get up. And where the funeral carried on and the body was buried. Because Jesus is Lord, we trust him that he's Lord. Even when things don't work out as we would like. Even when it's not my funeral or my friend's funeral that he stops at. Even if my funeral carries on and I experience the presence of God, well not mine, but my family members, carries on and I experience God's presence and Jesus' presence with me In it, not because he stops it, he's still Lord. Even if he walks with me to the burial site and we walk away together, he is still Lord and he's Lord of all. You see, not all in this life are raised from the dead. Our hope is not that we get the hang of healing and we get the hang of uh, raising from the dead so that one day everybody just keeps being raised from the dead again. That's not the point. That would be exciting. 
It would point to Jesus. But ultimately all die. The Bible promises us that. And this young man would have been raised to life and hopefully had a long life with his mum and looked after her and cared for her and did all the things that she was expecting he wouldn't be able to do. But then he too died. Otherwise he's around somewhere, looking a bit wrinkly. You see, the hope isn't endless life here in this sinful world now. The hope is that Jesus is coming back as Lord. And he's coming back to a redeemed world, to a renewed one, to rule and to reign for all eternity where there is no death and no sin and no suffering and no sickness and no tears. Where his words don't cry ring out for all eternity because there's no need to and he's wiped away every tear. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. Because he's Lord, he's coming again. Because he's Lord, the whole world will see his lordship. Because he's Lord, I can let go of trying to be. Because if I'm honest, there are times when I do. I try to run my own little world. I call it being responsible. I call it making the most of what God's given me, making sensible choices, making wise choices, being in charge, being in control. But actually sometimes I'm trying to be Lord and there's times when I need to be on my knees and say, God, it's over to you. Do you know how often those times are? Every day. Every single day. We need to delight in the fact that he's Lord and I'm not. We need to delight in the revelation that he's Lord and so he's in charge and so it will be okay. Not just in the end, but now, as we're walking with him. And because he's Lord, we can trust him with our future. How much is Jesus Lord in our lives? 100%? 70%? 30%? 5%? You know, we live our Christian lives as if there's an option. As if I can tick a box. Of, of partial lordship. Friends, there is no option other than he's lord or he's not. You know the little cliched phrase, he's either lord of all or he's not lord at all. And that's the call today, really, simply from my heart. To this, in this story where a broken woman found wonderful revelation about the lordship of Jesus. Because she saw her son come back to life. I think God wants to speak into our lives. I think he wants to call us into life. I think he wants to make what's dead come alive in our lives. I think he wants to give us a hope and a future. He wants to lead us and show us that we can trust him. That even though we fall, he is still Lord. That even though our cities are shaken, that even though... There is pain and there is suffering and there are things that we don't understand. He is still Lord and he will not leave us or forsake us. And our hope is in him. I'd love to pray and I'm going to hand back over to Rob and the team. Maybe that you need to respond today. Perhaps because you're in a place of brokenness and you've just listened to me talk about this woman 
And he thought, you know what? That feels a bit like my life. Feels a bit like I had some hope, and then it went, and then it got worse, and it got worse again. And it may be that you want someone to pray with you today to say, do you know what? That's me. I need Jesus to touch the funeral procession as it goes past and speak a word of life. It may also be that as I've spoken about Jesus being Lord, you've just reflected and you thought, you know, I think probably I'm trying to play the percentage game with Jesus. I'm trying to give him 30, 60, 80%. Just keep a bit for me to manage and, you know, thank you, Lord, I'll give you that bit when I'm ready. God is very gracious. He, He works with us. But the call is to give him all. I want to pray for us today. Lord, I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you deliver even from death. Thank you, Lord, that death has no sting. That there is no fear in death. Thank you that you heal and you deliver. Lord, thank you that you heal today. That you heal from sickness that you heal from disease. Thank you, Lord, that you heal from things that uh, medics tell us are inoperable or incurable, and you do what man cannot do. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that even when we die, there is still hope, because you are Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not wait until we see you face to face to finally bow the knee. Lord, your word tells us that all will one day. Perhaps grudgingly. But Lord, we want to do so today joyfully. To say, Lord, you are our Lord. Where we've started trusting ourselves more than you, I pray you'd forgive us. Where we've started doubting you and your ability to bring healing and transformation, I pray you'd forgive us. Lord, may we discover again the joy and the release, and the vibrancy of knowing you as Lord. May we be set free to walk with you as our Lord, confident into tomorrow, knowing that whatever happens, you're still the Lord. That you're going to do things that surprise us. You're going to do things that break the rules. That you're going to bring life. Lord, speak truth today, and cause your people to come alive in you. Amen.